Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to this morning's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Michael Benner, your host here, and a beautiful morning in Maui, Hawaii, and I'm glad you're able to be with us, hopefully live today, many of you coming from the future or listening to the past via your podcast. Streaming audio is available on my website as well as the podcast. The podcast is automatically downloaded to your iTunes or Podcatcher program. It takes a couple of days to get that out, usually on a Tuesday, that'll maybe a Wednesday at the latest that'll go out. If you want to listen to it sooner, a stream is available immediately after this class concludes at my website, theagelesswisdom.com. The T-H-E is part of it after the W's. It's .theagelesswisdom.com. Click on homepage to go inside, and then web teleconferences will reveal the just-concluded class and the archive of all the previous classes. And if you're not getting our newsletter and you'd like to, there's a free newsletter button on the splash page when you first land as well. So with that, let's begin our class today. We're going to talk about the closed-eye process or a series of processes uh, from that which is commonly called meditation to contemplation, visualization or guided imagery, and self-hypnosis. And what's this all about? What do these things have in common? How are they different? Why would anybody care? Um, (laughs) Why would you want to do such a thing? Um, How difficult is it? Uh, Is it a spiritual or religious practice? Um, And is it even different from prayer? Sometimes people who come out of the 12-step program um, or, or similar rehabilitation programs will talk about prayer and meditation as if it's one word, prayer and meditation. They just run it all together, prayer and meditation. Um, actually, that's a pretty good place to begin to distinguish meditation from prayer. It is similar to um, really distinguishing meditation from self-hypnosis in that meditation is more of a receptive state where prayer and self-hypnosis seem to be more of a projection or an initiation to cause a particular result. The way most people pray, especially in the West, um, the Judeo-Christian tradition of prayer, or even the Muslim tradition of prayer, the three Abrahamic uh, monotheistic religions, there's a lot of petitioning of God. The idea is that God is uh, personally available, or in Christianity, certainly, Christ is your personal Savior and receptive to your prayers. Praying to Christ is odd, since Christ taught only one prayer, and it was how to pray to the Father. But Christians will pray to Christ anyway, rather than the Father aspect. Father gets lost often 
in Christianity. And, um, of course, Catholics, they'll pray to the Virgin Mary or to saints and sages, as people of many religions will pray to ancestors. That's another idea, that your relatives or your ancestors are available to you. But prayer is usually some form of petition or a request to whoever is the destination of your prayer for some sort of uh, intervention or intercession. Like, I need some help down here, right? The idea of listening for a response uh, is often missing, especially in these three Western uh, religions. And that would be more of a meditation, a receptive state. And a meditator often has no petition. <laughs> I'm using that word because I often think of the door song where Jim Morrison says very clearly at the beginning, you cannot petition the Lord with prayer. And this is the truly ancient pantheistic idea that the father aspect anyway of God is law and not capricious, not movable, not influenced um, by prayer, but uh, this unmoving, unswerving, um, immovable, eternal, and infinite law or principle, the qualities of love that God has will, but it's according to the laws of the universe, just like there are laws of physics, there are laws of metaphysics. Um, many, for example, would believe in retribution or the needs for salvation, or in the East it's karma, uh, these these are laws, right? So you wouldn't ask God to suspend these laws to help you out. And yet often people will pray for all kinds of uh, petty divine intervention uh, before your high school football game on Friday night. You know, Please, God, let us win this game. And <laughs> so you've got people on both sides uh, rooting for each team, asking God to intervene in their high school football game, it really trivializes religion. And yet, uh, most people never even think twice about it. The idea of petitioning um, God as if it were some sort of micromanager with a big Nintendo console in the sky, uh, a joystick and some buttons and and causing, we heard this a week or two ago that God caused the earthquake and God caused the tsunami because God creates all things. Well, consider that, uh, you know, God could create the law and then stand back and let the law work and not intervene. Uh, if you look at physics, if you look at the weather, if you study geology, if you're not afraid of science, then you understand the causes of uh, of earthquakes and, and weather, and it becomes quite predictable.
it was really funny. Bill O'Reilly uh, recently got caught uh, pandering to the fundamentalists by saying the tides come in and the tides go out, and nobody knows why. <laughs> yes, we do, Bill. <laughs> yes, we we figured we figured out the tides, and it operates according to law. So that's a pretty interesting challenge to anybody that's religiously or spiritually oriented. Is your God capricious and uh, whimsical? Or is that a projection of human qualities onto uh, a divinity? Often people will say, and I think personally a, a more correct view, is that the power of prayer uh, is that it aligns you. It creates a path of least resistance or an alignment with the spiritual source of life, right? The Holy Spirit or the chi or the ki or the, the kundalini, the prana, the alan vital, uh, the ruha, the, the mojo, uh, whatever that power or life force is, uh, Perhaps the reason prayer works is that it aligns us with the source. In other words, prayer doesn't move God, it moves you, the one who prays. Rarely discussed, except in philosophy, and yet a very interesting concept. Now, in many ways, self-hypnosis is the same kind of thing. Self-hypnosis is a projection of a desired result, but the understanding is you're not petitioning God, you're programming the subconscious mind. The 90 or 95 percent that exists below the threshold of conscious awareness. For example, your heart beats, uh, food is digested, uh, cells in your body are repaired and replaced, uh, blood pressure, uh, body temperature, uh, fighting disease, uh, did I say digesting food, all of this is done automatically or autonomically by the subconscious mind below the conscious threshold or the threshold of your conscious awareness. And yet obviously it's happening when you lose consciousness, faint or pass out or go into a coma, or simply fall asleep, you don't die in most cases. <laughs> you, you may be passed out or sound asleep, sawing logs, but all of these subconscious processes are continuing to operate. So the conscious mind goes to sleep, but the, the bulk, 90 or 95% of who we are and what's going on mentally and emotionally, is in the subconscious. Um, not completely inaccessible. We used to call it the unconscious mind, but we've learned to access it. And indeed, that's a big part of what the closed-eye process is all about. Meditation or contemplation, uh, self-hypnosis, ways to access the subconscious mind. And many would add, and through accessing the subconscious mind, accessing higher brain functions 
or higher aspects of your own self, your so-called higher self, your soul, so to speak, uh, the spiritual essence that came into this incarnation and the exits upon death is liberated from um, this soul cage, to borrow a phrase from Sting, right? This physical uh, separative prison that the soul lives within during a particular incarnation. So I would say in that way, we have prayer as causative, a petition, hey God, won't you help me out here and intervene, or self-hypnosis, or hypnosis guided by another person, an operator, a hypnotherapist or hypnotist. But, of course, all hypnosis is really self-hypnosis because you have to consciously agree. Remember, the conscious mind is sitting off to the side in the case of uh, being guided or directed by a hypnotherapist. It's sitting off to the side watching, and it can always disagree. It's, as I said in the newsletter this week, not unlike your experience in a really engaging movie where your emotions are affected and the mind is affected by the movie. Even though the conscious mind knows you're sitting in a movie theater watching light from behind you, reflected off the wall in front of you, you nevertheless get engaged in the film. If it's a halfway decent film and you, you get your $12 worth, it's going to, you know, cause you to become excited or, or, or nervous or sad or depressed or happy or ecstatic or, or uh, angry or, or frustrated or as if it were a real experience not just light reflected on the wall. And yet, at any time, your conscious mind could help you snap out of it by you deciding consciously to remind yourself, hey, it's just a movie. It's just a movie. And if you're that affected, get up and walk out of the theater. Now, many metaphysicians and philosophers will say, well, if you walk out of the theater, you're still in a movie. Don't you see? This is the whole idea that life's an illusion. That it's the appearance of things, light bouncing off of objects that appear to be solid, even though we know they're not. They're mostly space. 99.99999 out 12 digits. Okay, 99.99. <laughs> That's how much space there is between the molecules and within the molecules between the various parts, the protons and the neutrons and the electrons and the subatomic particles. The most dense structure, lead, you know, titanium, zirconium, these heavy metals, the most dense are still 99.99999% space. 
actually more space than there is between the planets in the solar system. Sort of a macro and micro version of the same kind of thing. But we don't see the solar system as solid. We recognize the space. We even call it space, outer space. Where is Earth? It's in outer space. Outer space is not someplace else. We're in outer space. Right? <laughs> and it's mostly empty space or has the appearance of empty space. So is life an illusion? Is life a movie? Is life essentially being assembled in, inside our brains? Yes, perception is reality, and reality is perception. Uh, I can tell you as a journalist, even, the idea of any real objectivity beyond agreement or conventional wisdom, so-called, um, there may be such a thing as objective reality, but none of us would know because we all perceive it objectively. And that's why it's so rare for humans to agree on anything. Why should we? We're all in different movie theaters, so to speak, watching a different, a different movie. Well, before I get too far afield, my point in comparing life to a movie here is that consciously in the movie theater, watching the movie, caught up emotionally in what's being projected on the screen, you could snap yourself out of it by using the conscious mind to remind, isn't that interesting, to remind yourself that it's only a movie. Um, that's what meditation tends to do. It tends to develop your awareness any closed-eye process, and I will talk about the difference between meditation, contemplation, visualization. Any of these closed-eye processes, even prayer and self-hypnosis, tends to expand your awareness, tends to um, lower brain waves by reducing the amount of your brain the activity of the brain that is used to process physical stimulus, what you perceive through your senses, your physical senses, most of it visual, all right? So simply closing your eyes reduces brain activity by over 80%. Think about that. And then as you become involved with the inner frontiers, your imagination, for example, or your intuition, your creative processes, thought processes, or examining your emotional nature and your feelings, you become less aware of the sounds, the external sounds that your ears are picking up less aware of tastes and, and sense, the gustatory and olfactory senses, less aware of tactile sensation, how your clothes feel on your body, 
how it feels to sit in the chair or stand on your feet, um, how you feel internally, the various sensations that are constantly happening within your body. Um, those things, as you consume yourself with your imagination, whether you visualize or not, and and your intuition, then begin to explore your mental and emotional drift, you become less aware of physical sense and sensation. And this is a reason the ancients presumably began to meditate in the first place. They knew awake. They knew asleep. But somewhere along the way, somebody said, if I want to discover what is real beyond this movie that I'm watching, this subjective reality that I'm perceiving with my eyes and my ears and my other senses, but really assembling inside my brain into a unique, personal, and subjective reality. If I want to go beyond that and know something of my source, then I'm going to have to turn away from these senses. So the first thing you do is close your eyes. Now, people will often do that even if they're not meditators and haven't been trained to do this. When they just want to think about something and they want to focus their attention, they will either, without realizing it, fix their gaze to reduce the physical stimulus that's coming in. Just stare off into space and maybe defocus, so they're really not looking at much of anything. Or close your eyes. Many people will close their eyes. Or they'll ask for quiet. Turn that down. I'm trying to think. Turn that thing off. Let me think. And maybe they'll close their eyes or even put their hand over their eyes to create a blank screen inside your brain to help you focus attention, turning away from the distractions, don't you see, of the physical world. So anybody that intuitively believes there is more to life than what we're perceiving with our physical senses and we all know that even animals can hear things we don't hear and see things that we don't see. So there's a lot going on out there that we're not aware of with our physical senses. How do you find that? But to shut down your physical senses and to turn away from sense and sensation, to see what remains. There is the key. If I close my eyes, but don't fall asleep, if I turn my attention away from the sounds, in fact, here, let me turn off this TV and turn off the radio and try to find a quiet place. And I learn to use my imagination 
to access the subconscious mind or to go beyond to find that that presence that so many people feel intuitively that sense that is difficult to explain or or really put your finger on that there's more here than meets the eye there's a presence there's there's an, an awareness of something else a higher source uh, a meaning or a purpose to life uh, a pulse that we can sense but can't quite get our hands on and so the practice of meditation in the most general way evolved in all cultures and all societies from this desire to without falling asleep nevertheless turn away from the waking state and find an in-between place a place that brainwave researchers can define as about 10 cycles per second for as you close your eyes and turn away from physical sensation brain waves lower they're reduced they go slower and slower when you go to sleep they go all the way down to three or four cycles in deep sleep six or seven cycles when you dream back down to three four maybe even two cycles in deep sleep back up six seven maybe even eight cycles when you dream okay and then you open your eyes and you go into the 20s and 30s and the more stimulus the more you are stimulated by your physical senses the higher the brain waves so there's a place in the middle actually it tends <laughs> it's not so much in the middle it's more toward the low end about 10 cycles per second which is the midst between awake and asleep where the mind is open and the emotional nature is open the intuitive nature is open higher brain functions become available to us and the first benefit we get is the ability to concentrate now meditation contemplation visualization self-hypnosis and even prayer done properly requires concentration so again we have to turn away from physical stimulus to enjoy the benefits of concentration odd that this is not taught in school even many athletes have not learned that concentration is basically a relaxation skill people will say make an effort to concentrate well that's absurd or try to concentrate focus everybody who tells you how to do that it's a relaxation skill in order to focus your attention to pay attention interesting turn of phrase to pay attention or to concentrate 
you have to breathe and relax as if you're going to sleep. And then find this floating place in between where you're alert. But instead of being wide awake, it's more focused awake or narrow awake. Laser beam. instead. You know how the flashlight, that you twist the end and it goes from a floodlight to a spotlight? Well, imagine you could tighten it all the way down to parallel light, coherent light, like a laser beam. <laughs> That's what meditation, contemplation, visualization, self-hypnosis, even prayer properly done, is like laser-beamed thinking. Focused, but not on physical input or stimulus, but rather on the inner world and your internal processes so as to understand more about the self than the exterior world or the environment around you could ever reflect. Don't you see? Now, I'm going to go to the questions here soon, so let me just run over some of the distinctions here. Generally, meditation, the word Meditation is a catch-all, a kind of a grab bag, a potpourri of all different kinds of closed-eye processes. People in the West, especially those who were unfamiliar with meditation, tend to think that all meditation must be contemplation and so let's distinguish this because contemplation is a particular type of meditation it's true but there are other kinds of meditation like visualization for example or guided imagery that really are not contemplative in nature but again more causative than receptive, more a projection than a reception. All right. Contemplation is really the emptying of the mind and allowing the thought stream by ignoring it, basically, or paying attention to it in a mindful yet detached way. Your thoughts tend to quiet down and instead of eight or ten ideas demanding your attention at the same time, this is the experience that most people call reality. Whether you are visual and get pictures flashed at you, pay attention to me, pay attention to me, or whether you're more auditory and have voices shouting in your head, listen to me, pay attention to this, what about that? When you close your eyes and breathe, let go of physical tension and relax, you convince the body with the breathing, the closing of the eyes, and the physical letting go of tension, muscular tension. Those are three signals to the brain or the subconscious mind that you're safe. 
and there's little or no danger here. And so you can pay attention, you can concentrate, and the danger is not going to sneak up and kill you or eat you or steal your stuff. Now, it's odd that most people and inexperienced meditators, for this reason, believe that they're safer feeling afraid, and they're too afraid to feel safe. <laughs> so we get crosswired. And people will actually say, well, I, I don't want to feel safe. This is not a safe world. I want to be afraid. I need my stress. I want to be anxious and nervous because then I'm easily distracted. I pay a price. My mind is jumping all over the place. I'm stressed out. I'm burned out. But at least the danger can't sneak up on me. And if I allow myself to close my eyes and to take uh, a few slow, deep breaths and release physical tension, well, that would be really scary because I'd be concentrating and danger could sneak up on me and steal my wallet or hit me in the stomach, knock me over the head, <laughs> steal my stuff. And so I'm safer being afraid, and I'm too afraid to allow myself to feel safe. People want their fear and anxiety. That's why most people are not meditating and not interested in meditating. And if they're doing any closed-eye process, it's more likely to be called prayer than meditation because they're petitioning somebody else to do it for them. Please, God intervene in my life and you do it because I can't <laughs> we can we just don't want to we want big daddy to come in and and uh, the child in us you know we want daddy to come and make it all better so contemplation meditation is sort of a catch-all contemplation is that type of meditation where the thoughts are slower and slower more and more quiet, if you will, uh, spaced farther apart until you go to, you know, only four thoughts at a time and then maybe a dialogue, and then an inner dialogue, uh, two thought streams, the one that speaks and the one that answers. And when you're nice and quiet, you often have an internal dialogue. And then one of those voices falls away, and you just left with this one single thought stream with occasional thoughts and bigger and bigger spaces between the thoughts, larger gaps between the thoughts. Some people, when I start to talk about this in a public setting, their jaw drops. They go, they're like, I didn't know that could ever happen. Really? You, really, is that available? I could get that quiet that I might just have one thought and nothing in my head argues? See, people are driven by their thoughts. We, we believe we have to do or believe whatever we think. And yet, if you examine the thought stream, 
It's a bunch of arguments. We argue with ourselves all the time. What tends to be irritating about your spouse or a friend, family member, upsetting you is that they often take on the role of a voice that's already arguing with you inside your head. And it's like, don't tell me that. I've already got a voice in my head arguing that. So if we are our thoughts and we have to believe and take action upon everything that we think, which thought are you going to believe? It's often very difficult to keep track of what's what. Am I that initial thought or am I the one that answered back and said, no, that's a stupid thought? Did you forget what a moron you were? Mom and Dad always told you you were stupid. You can't possibly believe that. And then some other part fights back. So then people say, well, I'm not my negative thoughts. I am my positive thoughts. I've got to be positive and listen to the positive voices and ignore the negative voices. And the truth is, you're not either of those. You're not your negative thoughts, but you're also not your positive thoughts. You are not your thoughts any more than you are the clothing that you wear upon your body. Or the car you drive, the house you live in, or the country club you belong to. Now, those are nice things, to have a decent car, a nice house, uh, even jewelry and fine clothing, great. I, I have no problem with that. And they say clothes make the man or the woman. Power dressing, that's where it's at. It's all about appearance, really, is it? Or maybe in a practical sense, that's the way the world is, so we have to create a good appearance. Well, I think there's something to be said for that. But obviously there's more than the appearance of things. There's got to be something substantial. What's inside that clothing? What's inside that skin? What's inside your brain? What's inside your heart? And how are you going to go inside to find that, to figure that out? with meditation, whether it's contemplation, the type of meditation where the mind gets ideally to the point that those gaps between the thoughts become quite significant. And you might have even four or five seconds of being aware, alert, conscious, sentient, possessor of free will and imagination, and yet nothing comes. You say, well, I space out all the time. not talking about spaced out. I'm talking about being crystal clear, sharp as a pin, absolutely aware of how quiet it really can be in your mind and very skilled and expert meditators can then expand this two seconds of silence between the thoughts to four seconds. 
and maybe five or ten seconds, maybe a minute, maybe three minutes, maybe longer. But of course, as you learn to do this, as soon as you do it, the thought comes, hey, I just did it. <laughs> wasn't that far out. And the ego leaps up and starts con- to congratulate you on what a good meditator you are. And of course, there you've fallen down the slippery slope. You're back to that thinking again. Mostly what that's about, your thought stream, is seeking approval and reassurance that you're really okay. Seeking control to try to avoid the impact of life. And judging. Deciding whether something is right or wrong whether it's good for you or bad for you. And the overlay of binary thinking and dualism, the either-or, the polarities of things, the yin and the yang, becomes overwhelming. The more stimulated and the more stressed we are, the more likely we are to see only two ways, only two extremes, part of the fight-or-flight response that's built in. And that's what the ego does. The ego is totally fear-based, right? Its job is to identify with the separated physical body in a world of separated forms where there really is something called them, some other thing that is coming to get you. Potentially. (laughs) Of course, spiritually, there is no other thing. It's just the one thing. And the path from separate to unified, from diversity to unity, from the many to the one, is the path of consciousness, the awareness that we're talking about developing, also known as spiritual love, love consciousness. Same thing. Love more than an emotion. Love is awareness or consciousness. So that's the path. Love is the path. Love is the way. Consciousness is the path. Consciousness is the way. Contemplation is a quieting of the mental and emotional nature to expand the gaps between the thoughts. To begin to see, and the benefits are that you begin to see a bigger picture, you you begin to develop an elevated perspective. It's like climbing a hill and you can see broader horizons or going up in a hot air balloon and, and seeing more than you were able to see at ground level. You also tend to see harmony and unity, as I've already suggested, where in the past you had seen only conflict and threats. In other words, love begins to replace fear. And you start to see the bigger picture, the whole enchilada. And things start making sense. And conflicts are resolved. And you understand war is insane. And violent behavior just creates more violent behavior. 
and you even begin to understand how it's in your interest to learn to love and forgive and have compassion for people that you don't like or know that they don't like you. Even love your enemy begins to make sense. But in normal consciousness, without a practice of meditation, it's not likely that love your enemy or even forgive somebody you don't like is ever going to make sense to you because you're dominated by the separative ego. Its job is to protect you from danger. And we are the offspring of the survivors. We are, we are the, the, the children of those that were really, really good at seeing danger right away. And yet we don't live in the jungle anymore. We don't have nearly the amount of danger that we used to have. So you find a time and a place, ideally every day, just for a few minutes, even 10 or 15 minutes, even five minutes, even one minute would be better than pretending I don't have time to meditate. And you practice some form of meditation. Contemplation is one of those. Now visualization, or so-called guided imagery, is another. And this used to be a... uh, very esoteric and arcane secret in Eastern traditions. If you if you uh, were a yogi and spent many years of study, meditating, contemplating, you might at some point be introduced to the magic of visualization using the so-called mind's eye. Or the third eye, there's a whole chakra, the sixth chakra, that point between the brows, on the forehead, the Ajna center. That's your so-called third eye. Even Christ, in the, in the Christian tradition, there's reference to the third eye, or the Ajna center, where Christ says that when you practice love, the eye becomes single. And the body is filled with light. What's that about? It's about the duality of life, the tug of war in your brain, in your heart, uh, becoming harmonized. There's no more conflict. Less and less and less and less and less. Until you rise above it. And wonder, what are we fighting for? You know, the Rodney King, naivete. Can't we just all get along? Well, no. (laughs) Why? Because we're terrified. It's scary finding yourself in a separate body, in a world where everything else is separated, you're going to constantly be reaching out to try to make a connection and to allay those fears that you're really all alone. Isn't that really what it's ultimately about, the alienation and the fear that you're all alone or that nobody loves you, nobody cares? You just need a hug? You know, 
Well, until you die and have that experience of being one again, as if everyone and everything you've ever loved is present and embracing you and comforting you, that's what heaven is. That's nirvana. All right. Until then, you can make an approach to that level of awareness through some form of meditation. And visualization is using the mind's eye, focusing gently upon that ajna center in the middle of the forehead or between the brows. you got to tune the instrument and find out where that really is for you. And imagine a little movie screen there and see visualized, projected on that movie screen, an image that you want to study, to comprehend, uh, to understand. It could be a projection of an outcome or a result that you wish to attain <laughs> from a, a physical object to a relationship to a state or condition like prosperity. Right. Or it could be a feeling that you have a memory that you want to explore. You can visualize yourself as a child at a time when you were humiliated and abused. And from the point of view of the adult you've become, review that emotional trauma and understand, realize, listen to that word, realize, to make real a much more profound understanding of some humiliation from when you were five or six years old. And you didn't have the cognitive ability at that time to understand and certainly could not express yourself. You didn't have the vocabulary and no adult would ever give you the opportunity to express yourself. You were a bad little boy or a bad little girl. And parents believe they need to humiliate you into compliance and obedience. Not all parents, but most. And at times, even the best parents will humiliate their children, not realizing how destructive it really is to the psyche, to the self-image or sense of self. Okay. So there are many uh, applications and values to guided imagery, the movie of your mind, or visualization. Again, a type of meditation. Another type of meditation is simply chanting a, a prayer or a, or a mantra. Like uh, Om, or Om Mani Padme Hum is a, the supreme Buddhist mantra, especially Tibetan Buddhist mantra. It is said that the complete teachings of Buddha are contained in those handful of syllables, Om, Mani, Padme, Hum, six syllables. Four words, six syllables. And it really can't even be translated. So you might say, well, why would I chant a Sanskrit mantra? 
I don't even know what it means. <laughs> it means love, basically, compassion, forgiveness, harmony, truth, wisdom, what a theosophist would call second ray, the, the middle of the trinity, the heart and soul, the Christ or the Buddha nature. Uh, but it could be an affirmation that you want to chant. Every day in every way, I'm getting better and better and better. Every day in every way. This is Emile Kuei from 100 years ago. He said, take a string, tie 20 knots in the cord, and finger it like a rosary or prayer beads, and for every knot, you say the affirmation every day in every way, I'm getting better and better and better. There are also visual symbols called yantras that, like a mantra, you can chant a mantra, visualize a yantra, right? So visualization, chanting, um, and the contemplation, the quieting and eventual broadening of the gaps between your thoughts to the point that you begin to detach and watch the thought stream and realize that you are the awareness of those thoughts. You're not merely the thought. You could agree with a thought or disagree with a thought. You can laugh at what you've always thought to be true and find yourself giggling at how silly you've been to believe in such an absurd thing. Because you just get smarter when you meditate. Again, it's not so much that your IQ goes off the chart. You know, your intelligence quotient, your capacity to solve problems and understand complex abstracts. It's that your field of vision gets broader and improves. <laughs> you see more. You get the bigger picture. The whole enchilada. And again, begin to see and where in the past you had seen or. And instead of this or this, which one is right, which one is good, which one is true, you begin to see this and this the relative truth in things. The only absolutes are spiritual. In the physical world, there are no absolutes until you can tell me when exactly at what point slow becomes fast and small becomes big, you have to accept that truth is relative. It's a matter of degree. Theory of relativity. Einstein didn't have a theory of the absolute. And even scientific formulas are relatively true. In Einstein's case, a function of how fast you're traveling through time and space. That time is relative to your speed through space. The faster you go, the slower time goes. Time dilates when you... Ever notice how when you get busy, time goes fast? And yet a watched pot never boils. Well, Einstein proved that in science. 
if you could travel to the nearest star at speeds approaching the speed of light and then return, it might take nine or ten years, a thousand years would pass on Earth. Relative to the point of view of the people on Earth spinning around on their planet, orbiting the sun, I'm at the edge of the Milky Way galaxy, slowly spinning the galaxy, spinning. Relative to their sense of time, a 10-year trip by the astronaut going to Alpha Centauri and back, a 10-year trip, a thousand years would pass on Earth. Where is that guy? Where has he been? He comes back a thousand years later. He's only aged 10 years. Both things are true. Both things are true. It's not which is true. There are no absolutes. So, you know, when right-wingers and fundamentalists start yelling at you about the truth, they're just talking about their relative truth. Ask them, when does fast become slow? When does big become small? And if they've got half a brain, they'll understand the point. The relative nature of reality. So, or becomes and. Conflict becomes harmonious. And the separation and the distinctions begin to blend into this beautiful panorama of harmony and unity. You don't see colors fighting in a rainbow. Right, all all one beautiful rainbow. They all coexist. These different colors, they all get along. <laughs> right, contemplation, meditation, visualization, or guided imagery. We've talked about self hypnosis, the power of suggestion, and prayer. Collectively the closed-eye processes. And at the end of every one of these classes, we do, with very few exceptions, we do a meditation of some sort. And we will again today. So if you want to know how, just stick around. Because it's really as simple as closing your eyes, breathing, relaxing, and watching your breath. That's a great place to begin, simply to watch your body breathe itself all by itself. We'll do that in a few minutes. Let's go to the phones and the text comments. If you're on the web with us live today, it's March 20th, 2011. You can use that text box if you haven't already in the lower left-hand corner. Click on Ask a Question. If you don't see it, it'll pop up. Be sure and add your name and your city. And uh, say hello, but put a little question in there, a little comment. Everybody, that gives me a chance to answer, and everybody benefits if you just put a little question in there. 
And if you're on the telephone or Skype, press star 2 on the telephone touchpad to indicate that you'd like me to unmute you, and we'll bring you live into the class. So let me check the telephone list first. Got a bunch of callers, but no hands raised just yet, so let's go to the text questions, and then we'll come back to the telephones in just a minute. And let's see. We start off with two of our beloved regulars here. Johnny Rocker, Johnny B. in Pittsburgh. Happy to be here as a smart and conscious human being. Well, we're glad you're here too, John. Thanks for being here. Carol Postel is always here. I don't think Carol's missed one of these. Thank you, Carol. Always nice to see that you're here in the class from La Habra, California. Uh, Greg Dikowski from Avon Lake says, Hello, Michael. Have a great session. I'll have to catch up later. I uh, work three weekends out of four, but I do have a quick question. This is interesting. Greg left this question before class, and then had to go to work, and then he'll listen to either the stream or the podcast later. You can do that, too. What is the simplest form of meditation for beginners without or those who do not have a coach or a teacher or advisor? Thanks for all that you share and do. Uh, Regards. Have a great week. Uh, Greg, um, as I just mentioned, the breath-watching technique Um, Another very simple meditation approach for beginners, uh, those who are teaching themselves, is Herbert Benson's relaxation response, which is really a Buddhist technique of repeating a single word mantra as you exhale. So you close your eyes, take a few slow, deep breaths, then allow your body to find its own rate of breathing. You spend the first minute or so feeling a relaxed feeling in your body. Muscles unwinding, you actually feel and sense the letting go. Put your attention on the bottom of your nose and without moving or following the breath, just fix the attention gently and watch the breathing. And then if you would like to add the Benson uh, technique, which you borrowed again from Buddhism, just add a word like one every time you exhale. Repeat one or love or God or peace or Om, which really should be pronounced Aum, a, as if it were spelled A-U-M. Back of the throat, back of the mouth, the throat, ah, ooh, middle of the mouth, mm, front of the mouth, Aum. Isn't that cool? You feel those three sounds. That's the trinity. 
the represents the atmosphere or the actually the sky the universe the space around you is the ah of the middle element the oo represents the atmosphere and the mm represents the earth a spirit consciousness matter is the uh, the classic trinity father son the holy spirit father son mother Okay, mental, emotional, physical. Aum. And uh, anytime you find yourself distracted by a thought, you know, your problems petitioning you to pay attention to them, arguing, again, as if your fear is going to make you safe, (laughs) realize that it's a distraction, let it go without a struggle and just Gently place your attention back on watching your breath. Then, if you'd like, repeating that single, that single song. Uh, Phil Jaffe's with us in Canoga Park, and he says thank you. Got to see the retreat video, and uh, you know, I did finally finish a couple of days ago a little video presentation that we did. Um, on the last day of the Maui Mindfulness Retreat. And I posted a link to that in the newsletter. So if you're receiving our newsletter, if you go to the bottom, you'll see a reference to it with a link that you can click on. It's only 13 minutes, and it really will give you a feel of the people that attended the Mindfulness Retreat that my business partner Steve Snyder and I did in February, this just a few weeks ago, and that we plan to repeat in uh, October. We'll have the exact dates and other details for you soon, but we are going to do it again. I think we may even expand it from five days to seven. So... I'll have details for you soon. I'm real happy with the way it went and very excited to do it again. The idea of expanding it to me is super. A lot of us felt rushed. We only had five days of doing nothing. (laughs) We felt rushed. So I think we'll expand it a little bit. And speaking of the retreat, here's Judy in Arcadia. She was one of our attendees our uh, participants. She was there. He says, Aloha, Michael. Raining here today brings back fond memories of the retreat in Maui last month. I love the rain. Outstanding class. Thank you. Mahalo, Nui Loa. Um, Loved your class on defensiveness. That's a program Steve and I do in the premium audio focusedpassion.com. If you're not getting these classes, they're 99 cents, guys, a buck. If you subscribe without a contract, open-ended, you can pull the plug anytime for $3.95 a month. $3.95, less than a dollar a week. And you get these premium studio quality versions of this Personal and Spiritual Development, Studio Quality with Steve and me. 
The only thing you don't have is the interactive part, this part. But you have the benefit of two of us having a really compelling conversation and some guided imagery exercises at the end also. And we just did one on defensiveness. That's what Judy's referring to. I'm glad you liked that, Judy. And she says, uh, how can some of my friends view the video on the Maui Mindfulness Retreat? Just send them that link that's in the newsletter. Just swipe it, copy it, paste it into a, an email to them, and they can click on that link, Judy. That's, that's the best way to do that. Virginia is with us in Los Angeles. She was also one of our participants here. She says, Aloha, Michael. Is Vipassana meditation a type of contemplative meditation? And would it be fair to say that contemplative meditation is an important foundation on which to build other forms of meditation, such as visualization, hypnosis, etc.? Wow. Um, yes, great question. Any form of meditation or contemplation is going to benefit all other forms of concentration, contemplation, meditation. Um, is Vipassana a type of contemplative meditation? Yeah, Vipassana is called insight meditation. It's often described as um, an analytical uh, kind of meditation, but it's not logical analysis. It's not through any mental effort that we gain the insight. Again, it's more like sitting back in the movie theater. In fact, don't sit too close to the front because you won't see the periphery. Go back a few rows so you can see the whole big screen and sit back and relax with your butter popcorn and dig on the wide screen and the whole panorama. So Vipassana is insight meditation. Um, they also have a type of meditation that's done to prepare for that in, in Buddhism. There is sort of an induction. Uh, that's what we call it in hypnosis. It's interesting. Meditators rarely, if ever, refer to an induction or the part of the meditation which is getting to that deeply relaxed level of mind. But they do it anyway. Any meditator that's honest will tell you, well, it takes a little while to get there, to orient yourself, to, to, to release your orientation to the physical world around you. So I hope that answers your question. Um, down in Albuquerque says, hello, Michael. I had a revelation during the first 20 minutes of class today regarding prayers, and I'm so grateful for your work and preparation for the class. Today, I think, could be a Vegas show. I'm so excited about being safe and afraid, meditating every day. I will contemplate more. Thank you, Donna. And uh, let's see. I also have in uh, Los Angeles confirmation that it's raining today from Barnaby and Jenna. And they say, can you explain mental polarization versus emotional polarization? 
I know you said in the past lecture that the mental polarization is far superior than the emotional, but isn't the heart or the emotional nature really important when making a decision on a career, for example? And would you consider having a guest on your show like you did on KLOS at midnight on Sunday? Maybe you could spotlight Robert from West L.A. as a guest lecture, since I learned a lot from him, too. Keep up the good work. Peace, love, and understanding, Barnaby. Um, what I would be willing to consider is doing um, a second uh, webinar. Keeping this as it is in this format, um, and then maybe adding a second program uh, or class, probably more of a program. Make that a program, keep this as a class, where I do feature guests. I guess the reason I've been hesitant to do that is I keep going back and forth with KPFK. And people at KPFK reach out to me and ask me to do a show, and then nothing ever happens. And then I hear these complaints about how they don't have any money, and they sure wish that I was back on the air. And I said, we have the ability to do that. You know, it's gonna, you're going to have to put out about $2,300 for equipment, but I'll do the show for free. I always did, always have. I'll, I'll, I'll do the show as a volunteer. I did it for 14 years. If you buy this equipment, it's like $2,300, $2,400. They go, okay, we'll do that. We'll do, we'll do that. And then nothing ever happens. So there's some sort of internal struggle at KPFK. There are elements that, that know that we provide a valuable program, increase listenership, make them a lot of money uh, in donations. But there's another element there that thinks that uh, there's no place for consciousness raising on KPFK. That it's all about class struggle and uh, Marxist doctrine and uh, classic politics and that uh, developing your brain and your heart is uh, stupid. And that's a very powerful element behind the scenes in KPFK. So I get the outreach. It's like a tease. <laughs> Please come back. Do your show from Maui. Love to have you on. And then nothing ever happens. It gets, it gets quashed. And that's through, that's been happening ever since I was associated with them um, 16 years ago, 17 years ago, uh, through half a dozen general managers and probably 10 different program directors. Um, so I don't know what to tell you. If, if, if that could happen, that would be the show with the guests, but 
you know, if you want that, instead of going to me, you got to go to KPFK. you got to write to them. People write to me and say, please go back. Don't write to me. Write to them, KPFK, and let them know. Send them an email, you know. doesn't take long. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to do it, again, for free as a volunteer. I never took a nickel from that radio station. And I have no regrets. I'm not angry at anybody. I understand those people even that are opposed to programs about the development of consciousness. They think it's religion. You know, I I understand their closed-mindedness. It's just sort of where we stand on that. So that would be the best thing, I think. Then we could have it live on the web, live on the radio, streaming, and a podcast, do it all with guests. And then I can still keep this school for those who are, I mean, we can't do what we're doing here on the radio. We can't do a meditation on the radio. It's, it's nobody's going to let you do a meditation. <laughs> nobody's going to let you do that. Roy of Hollywood has done it because Roy's been there like 35 years. He's so locked in, he can do whatever he wants. You know, he can talk about management, call them names. <laughs> Roy, Roy can get away with that, but not me. Uh, let me hit the refresh button, see if I have others here. Oh, yeah. Uh, Patricia Vega in Los Angeles. Aloha. Uh, thank you for another great class. Everybody can benefit from hearing this. Mahalo and aloha. Thank you, Patricia. In Tampa, Florida, Peter's with us today. Hi, Peter. He says, sometimes when I meditate, I fall asleep. What do I do? Thank you, Michael. Great show. Um, Take a nap. You need it. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with falling asleep when you meditate. It just means that you need to sleep. Um, If you're laying down to meditate, That's going to increase the likelihood, of course, that you do fall asleep, so I'd suggest sitting up. If you're falling asleep sitting up, if you are doing your meditation sitting up, um, again, I, I don't mean to sound flippant or sarcastic, but again, you're probably not getting enough sleep. Most Americans do not get enough sleep. So I'd consider that. Uh, Another thing you can do is create a slight discomfort. Um, This is not the best solution, but it is a solution. If, for example, you bent one arm at the elbow so that your forearm and fingers are pointing up, it takes very little effort to do that and to hold that position. But enough of an effort that it'll create an awareness of the exertion and stimulate you, hopefully lifting you just above the point where you would fall asleep. Or cross your fingers. You know, like 
when you were a kid and you told a lie, you'd cross your fingers behind your back. Your first and second fingers crossed, and you can, with just a little bit of adjustment, increase the tension and therefore the level of discomfort in crossing your fingers. And if you find yourself nodding off, you just squeeze a little harder, that creates a little more discomfort, lifts you up. Um, but I would say mostly make sure you get enough sleep and then just practice. And don't beat yourself up or criticize yourself in any way if you fall asleep. Uh, that's not the worst thing in the world, to fall asleep. So you might find it frustrating, especially if you're using your meditation to work out a problem, you know, um, or to heal a hurt. But uh, those would be my suggestions. Practice, practice, practice. Let's go to the telephone and see if anybody wants to... Uh, Speak now. No hands raised. Damn. Uh, be so nice. I appreciate those of you that have in the past uh, allowed me to bring you on board. There's not that many people listening, you know. It's just it's just you and me on the phone here. It's no big deal. But uh, it's so nice to have that ability. Oh, here comes Diane. Diane says, okay, Diane's volunteering. Let's go to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And Diane, you're in the mystery school. Thank you. Hello, Michael. Hello. Do you think one of the problems folks have with meditating, concentrating, is that they think it's a little more complex than it actually is and that the steps to doing it are very simple? You mean in spite of the fact that it's truly simple, they think it's difficult? Um, yes, they think it's complex. They've heard people say, oh, you have to meditate for years to get it right. And some people suggest 10 years. And it's really very, very simple. It's a breathing exercise, relaxing, feeling safe, going to a safe place. Yeah, I think it's a very good point. I, uh, I've i often heard similar things from people. I've heard uh, uh, commonly this idea that you have to quiet the mind in order to meditate. And people will complain to me and uh, say, well, I, I just can't meditate because I can't quiet my mind. And I... <laughs> I always say you, you you don't have to quiet the mind to meditate. The idea is to meditate to quiet the mind. You got it backwards, right? And knowing that, then there's no wrong way to meditate. There is no failure. It's impossible to fail. Um, you just get better and better and better at creating this quiet state. And again, if people knew that that's only one kind of meditation called contemplation, where you quiet the mind, there are some very active meditations, like the visualization and guided imagery that I often promote here in this class. And 
many of the meditations I do involve, at least in the beginning, imagining that you're in this beautiful wilderness or garden, this place of perfect peace and ideal relaxation. And I'll even awaken all the, the imaginary senses. Imagine seeing this place. Imagine hearing the sound of birds singing. Imagine feeling the wind in your hair and the fragrance of, of, the, of the gentle breezes. And, uh, um, you know, for every physical sense, we have a, an astral version, an imaginary, uh, emotionally based version of sense and sensation that we can draw upon. So that's not emptying the mind at all. And that's dreaming and imagining images, uh, that's a, a very fun thing to do. That's what we got in trouble for in school, right? Was <laughs> was was daydreaming. You got an eraser thrown at you for that stuff. But today, teachers are learning to teach children to daydream. Only instead of daydreaming about being out of class, they daydream about the lesson. You know, here daydream about how to figure out square roots, daydream about this history lesson and imagine you're there, uh, daydream about the uh, civics class and and the importance of the Bill of Rights or whatever, and uh, then write a short little paragraph about your daydream. So we have to reframe, I think, and uh, help people to understand the value of the closed-eye process in a learning situation. Uh, but not only education, also in a healing situation. Learning and healing are two forms of the same thing. And exactly. Both are, both are accelerated, as you know, by deep relaxation. I think the two biggest challenges I had when I was learning to meditate, the first one was the breathing. It took me a good week, and maybe I'm slower than most, to realize that the slow breaths in, hold, slow breath out, hold, <clears throat> didn't have to be forced. And it was so unusual to me because I'm a real type A personality that it was very difficult for me to kind of get that down and realize it was very simple and I didn't have to force it. The second problem I had was I was very comfortable being in in a guided visualization, but I d couldn't figure out how to do it on my own. And the bottom line on that is you basically use your imagination and take yourself on the journey. Yeah. Would you agree? Sure. Again, I don't think there's a wrong way to do this. I think if you... You know, Buddha said uh, intention is karma. It's, it's not what we do in life. It's not even what we think. It's the intention behind it that matters. And so if our intention is to meditate, then there's going to be value in your meditation, no matter how badly uh, done. Who's to say your meditation is good or bad? Nobody but you. 
And as a learner, as a beginner, we don't even know how we're doing. So assume we're doing well and can only get better and uh, make the effort. And in no time, you're going to begin to experience your own set of benefits. That's what I hear you saying. Oh, I realized uh, about a week into it that I didn't have to force this big, slow, deep breathing. I could allow myself to breathe deeply. Exactly. You know, I think I was meditating for years before I began to realize some of the subtler benefits, like seeing the the harmony where in the past I'd seen conflict, the idea of replacing or with and. Intellectually, I don't think I ever would have come to that if it were not for the elevated perspective of meditation, getting the bigger picture. And uh, there are books and there are tapes and there is this class and you know, I encourage people to study everything and go every place. Uh, nobody's ever heard me say, I'm the only teacher and I've got the one right way. And yet, there are lots of meditation teachers that will say, oh, don't study any other... Um, I'll tell you a quick story about this. In 40 years of radio, all of the different meditation teachers that I featured... I never had the Transcendental Meditation people, the TM people. I never had them on my program because they always insisted that TM was the only way to meditate, the only correct meditation, that all other ways are wrong. I said, well, that's religion. I don't do religion. They said, no, it's not religion. It's just the right way to meditate. I say, yeah, but you're teaching it like it's religious dogma and doctrine. You know, spirituality is not exclusive. It's inclusive. Anytime you run across something that claims to be spiritual but is exclusive, it's phony. Our spiritual experiences are to be always inclusive. Find out what's right for you. Again, Buddha said, don't believe anything that you read just because it's in a holy book or a a person that you respect says it's true. Don't believe anything that doesn't resonate as true in your mind and your heart. So I think we all have to find our own particular path, our own particular form of meditation or contemplation that works best for us to cast about a little bit, you know, and experiment with this and that and the other thing till you find your groove. And and even then, keep exploring and reading more and going to lectures and looking for more stuff on the Internet and always looking for more. It's It's so fascinating. We're talking about the essence of who we are, and what is life. So how anybody could be bored with that is a mystery to me. Yes, and we're really looking at who we can be because there's such growth when you begin to meditate. And who we are that includes all that we could be. For sure. Thank you, Diane. Wonderful class.
Is it raining? Thank you. Is it raining in Albuquerque, too, or only L.A.? Of course not. No. We live in heaven. <laughs> it's always perfect in Albuquerque. It's always perfect. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce should send you a check every month. We really, we have, we're the best kept secret on earth. We have wonderful weather. And very good Mexican food. That's right. That's <laughs> All right, thank you. Yes, have a wonderful day. Aloha. 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 You too. All right, let's do our uh, guided imagery. And our closed eye process for the day. Our, our, our theme today has been the closed-eye process, meditation, contemplation, visualization, self-hypnosis. Remember, not only is this program available as a podcast at the iTunes Store and most other major podcast directories on the Internet, but also immediately after the class, it's available as streaming audio on my website, theagelesswisdom.com. And uh, you just point your browser to theagelesswisdom.com, click on home page to go inside, and then click on web teleconference. And not only will you see today's class at the top and 150 other classes, trailing off as you scroll down, organized by date with the title. But near the top is a send one to a friend link or gadget. And if you click on that, you can choose any one of these programs to forward to a friend, somebody that you know that's interested in this kind of material. Or someone who came to mind when you listened to a particular class and thought, oh, you know, so-and-so would love this. I wish they'd heard it. Wait a minute. I could forward it to them with a single click of the mouse. So we've got that built in on both of our sites, the Ageless Wisdom site and our sister site, FocusedPassion.com, where the premium audio lives. Just ninety nine cents when you subscribe at three ninety five or no three ninety six. That's what it is. Ninety nine cents a week times four three ninety six a month. Programs from the archive are four ninety five, but you can subscribe for just ninety nine cents each when you do it month to month. And there's no contract. It's just a month to month kind of a deal. Unsubscribe resubscribe anytime you want. And you'll always have access to the built-in audio player on your account page. If you subscribe for, say, six months and then you unsubscribe, you'll always be able to log in and the built-in player with all your programs is there. You can also have the programs forwarded to your iTunes podcast folder or listen in the RSS reader in every browser. All the browsers have these uh, really simple syndication RSS readers built in. And that's available too. So that's three ways to listen to the premium audio at focusedpassion.com. If you like this class, you'll love that. 
I, I can't imagine listening to the mystery school and not subscribing to the Finding Yourself in Paradise series at FocusedPassion.com because you get two of us. My business partner for 35 years, Steve Snyder, and I in a studio quality program, not over the phone, but really high quality, studio quality, high bit rate, sounds really good, and compelling conversation. We go back and forth and say things that often surprise each other. And then we do a guided imagery also. So if you're listening to this and like this, get to Focused Passion and subscribe for a pittance, right? The the cost of one cup of coffee at Starbucks will buy you a month of programming at FocusedPassion.com. And you'll have the same feature. Send one to a friend for no charge, as often as you want, as many times as you'd like to, as many people as you know what you get for your 99 pennies. So uh, support what supports you at uh, such a nominal fee. Focused Passion. There's an ED in there. The W's dot focusedpassion.com. So get comfortable if this is a good time for you. Seated. Sitting straight but not rigid rather balanced with your shoulders back do some head rolls and shoulder shrugs and sort of loosen yourself align yourself and take a couple of slow deep breaths inhaling pause for just a beat allow yourself to exhale fully beyond where you'd normally stop all the way out all the way Pause for just a beat. Inhale slowly again. Fill your lungs. Pulling in strength and power. And go around three, four times. Nice, slow, easy, deep breaths. And the exhale is almost like a sigh of relief. A sigh of release. The word nirvana sort of a Buddhist word for heaven, actually means a sigh of relief. Nirvana is, ah, uh, <laughs> put it down, let it go, right? Uh, <laughs> and allow yourself to experience that wonderful feeling then as you turn your breathing over to the involuntary allowing your body to breathe itself. Again, your eyes are now closed and you're feeling very safe. Perhaps remember a time when you felt so safe and allow yourself to experience that feeling again safe and relaxed. Balanced and centered. And lift your attention gently to the bottom of your nose. And as if you exist as a little 
pinpoint of awareness and the ridgeline of cartilage between the nostrils. Just simply and gently fix your attention at the bottom of the nose and watch the breath as you allow your body to breathe itself all by itself your job with your attention your intention to pay attention is simply to watch the body breathing itself in the same way you might stand at the edge of the ocean and watch the waves rolling in crashing on the beach as you inhale and then as your body exhales watch the water drain down the beach and back into the sea just observing the body breathing itself at its own rate its own particular rhythm you passively become the watcher the witness and in time it may be a matter of minutes it may take several sessions but in time you'll begin to feel as if the body that you're watching breathe itself is somebody else's and you're sort of standing over to the side watching this body breathing it's called a sense of detachment it's it's disassociation it's not dissociation but disassociation you realize this is your body you're aware that it's your body breathing but you have a sense that the you that's watching is so mindfully aware that you detach from it you unclutch and let go and realize you are more than your physical body you are more than the breath you are your awareness And allow yourself to be curious about this. As if you have found some sort of object. Like you're strolling down the beach and you see a shell or a pebble that is completely different from anything you've ever seen before. And you bend over to pick it up and you hold it in your hand and you look at it as if 
You're absolutely fascinated by this object. It's so intriguing, and you've never seen anything like it. And it's with that kind of orientation that you watch your body breathe itself. And imagine, what a miracle. You want signs. You look for miracles in your life. Here's one. My body breathes all by itself. And at the same time, regulates internal temperature and blood pressure. And my heart is beating. And food is being digested. And cells are being repaired and replaced. And my immune system is checking illness and disease holding it in balance with beneficial bacteria, flora, and fauna, life that lives within the universe that is my physical body. And you reflect as if looking into a mirror or a pool of water, you reflect upon this self. That is breathing from the point of view of the one who watches the body breathing. And if you did nothing for 10 or 15 minutes but observe quietly and patiently the rhythm of the in-breath and the out-breath, the yin and the yang, the polarities, the ebb and the flow, the round and the round, the seasons of things. the expansion and contraction. That would be sufficient to grow your brain, to expand your heart, to develop your conscious awareness of your self. Expanding your horizons as if elevating your perspective to a higher ground. Seeing more, understanding, and realizing the bigger picture. Seeing connections and harmony, even unity, where in the past you'd see only conflict. Trials, tribulations, loss and grief and suffering. You start seeing the bigger picture. 
And there is a peace of mind that comes from practicing this peace of mind. And after just five or ten minutes of watching your breath, while you could go on to other things, you could solve your problems here, you could develop your memory here, you could explore your emotional feelings here, you could promote understanding of a lesson, whether academic or from your workplace or your life in general. There are many places you could go from here. If you did nothing but this simple practice of watching your breath for as few as five or ten minutes, developing the mindful attachment of feeling like you're watching a body breathing, but It's almost like it's somebody else's. You'll begin to develop an ability to watch your thoughts in the same way. And instead of your thoughts and your feelings driving you, they'll be passengers. And your best nature, your better nature, your higher self will be in the driver's seat. The expanded awareness, the part of you that chooses, that makes the best decisions, the part that understands and realizes from love and peace and safety, moving toward rather than running from, releasing your fear. Let it ride shotgun. Put it in the back seat. Lock it in the trunk. Just don't let fear drive. Look forward. Put your hands on the steering wheel of thought. Accelerate your emotional nature. And move toward self-improvement, self-realization. and the world that is every day in every way more harmonious and complete. And bring this feeling or sense with you back into the room. Take your time to reorient yourself first to the sound of my voice and then Feel the cushion upon which you sit, your feet upon the floor. Remember what you'll see in a moment when you finally do open your eyes. And with a sense of anticipation, take another slow, deep, and deliberate breath now, filling your lungs 
hold for just a moment and then exhale now, breathe out, and open your eyes wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed, back in the room, feeling fine, better than before. By the way, um, I realized in the middle of that meditation that I never did answer Barnaby's question about polarization, the mental and emotional polarization. Um, Emotional polarization is generally described as positive and negative, Barnaby, uh, love-based and fear-based. And the idea is to transmute or learn from the fear because it corresponds to ignorance, and lift it into understanding, which corresponds to love. Fear and ignorance are related. Love and understanding are two forms of the same thing. So instead of love killing fear, it understands it, and then there's nothing to be afraid of. Understanding dissolves and evaporates ignorance, so it's lifted from the negative, fear-based, hurt feelings into love. Mental polarity is a little different. A mental polarity is just the, the, the nature of our dualistic thinking. We have two hemispheres. There's two genders uh, or sexes, people call them. There is the idea of right and wrong and good and bad and winners and losers and being with me or against me. And uh, that duality is pervasive. There's also an overriding duality that is mental versus emotional. And many people lead with the emotion, they're emotionally polarized, and then follow with a behavior. So it's emotion, behavior, and then they think about it later, rationalization. And improvement there is to become mentally polarized so that in the back and forth between feeling and thought, You finally lead with the thought, the steering wheel, follow with the emotion, the emotion, the energy in motion, the pedal, the accelerator, and then create the behavior. The car moves forward. Thanks for being here. Join us next week. Watch for the newsletter. Use the link at the bottom of the newsletter to forward it to your friends, people you know who are looking for this kind of personal and spiritual development information. And if you like this and want more, listen to Finding Yourself in Paradise. We've got six free programs and 10 favorites, 16 programs all all together that are available to you absolutely free. Premium audio programs that I do with my business partner of 35 years, Stephen Snyder, at Focused Passion. Dot com. Subscribe for 99 cents a program at focusedpassion.com. There's an ED in there, the W's.focusedpassion.com. Click on the button that says, just send me the free stuff. Leave your first name and an email address. You'll get a free built-in player with six programs in it. Subscribe to the podcast, Empower Yourself in Paradise. And if you click the radio button that says sign me up and send me the free stuff too, then a panel will open up. You can enter your ATM, credit card, debit card info. 99 cents a show if you subscribe. 4.95 a show. 
if you buy from the archive one at a time. Focusedpassion.com. Thanks a lot. Mahalo. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.